0: Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Precision Rifle Channel Podcast. I am here with my good friend Chris Giddings. Chris has been on the show once before and his podcast that uh, we did was tremendously successful and a lot of people had asked us to get Chris back on the show and we were lucky enough to get uh, Chris pinned down and so he's joining us today. Chris, welcome to the show sir.
1: Travis, thanks for having me on again. It was a, it's a great honor to be on your show, and um, I appreciate the good feedback, and I, I hope our our first podcast was super helpful for people, and I hope this one will be too.
0: Likewise. I mean, we, we got such positive feedback from the first podcast, from competitors, from people in the marketing field, in the 2A community, from um, just people looking at our sport, from everybody. And so it was like, we know we didn't finish what we wanted to talk about last time. So it was about time we got you back on the show. And we appreciate you taking the time, especially with your regular professional season, getting ready to take off with your other work. Um, I wanted to catch you before, you know, all of that started for you. So thank you.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. I, I can't believe that tonight we have the first NFL preseason games. So it's right. it's it's here already it's crazy. So yeah, I I was talking to clients last night about, you know, what the their playtime expectations were for tonight and and all of that. So it is just it's happened so fast, but I you know, like we talked about in the first podcast, I love and I'm fascinated by the intersection of what I do for, uh, as a sports agent in my day job, but then also the shooting world and, you know, the marketing part of that and, and, um, how those two things overlap, it just fascinates me.
0: You know, and as the precision rifle sport continues to grow and gets bigger and bigger, um, you know, having the opportunity to speak to somebody like yourself, who is a, a great sports agent, a phenomenal, you know, marketer, um, it really helps people understand the direction that the sport is going. And what we need to do as a community to ensure that we get there um, with flying colors, so to speak.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for the your kind words. I appreciate that, and I think we can also kind of let history guide us as well. You know, we we're not the first shooting sport that's that's blown up like um, like BRS NRL has. Right. Uh, other other shooting sports have been there before us. Um, you know i was really into three gun and and also some some defensive pistol before I, I came to long range rifle those sports i think we can look at those and and all the different iterations of those sports and say what did they do well you know what helped them and then what did they do that that didn't help them what were the, some mistakes that they made and let's let's not make those my my dad always, always used to say the only thing better than learning from your mistakes is learning from someone else's so you know, we can kind of do that. There's a lot of people in our sport that have come from those other sports. And, you know, we probably need to to seek advice from them and say, yeah, what, what should we be doing and not doing?
0: Right. And we are, like we talked about, you know, a couple of days ago, we are breaking some new ground, but we definitely have examples that we can look at and use for guidance as we all try to make the best decisions that we can for the growth of our communities. So it's, uh, it's very important that we continue to watch what other sports are doing, learn from them, and adapt and, and do the best that we can.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think one of the challenge, uh, challenges will be if we ever want our sport to get really big, how do you get fans involved? You know, how do you have viewership of some kind? And that's always been a bit of a challenge for the long range community. You know, as opposed to a lot of other spectator sports, whether you're talking about Olympic sports or football or whatever, um, racing, you know, they've all found ways that they can put the viewer into the competition and, and put right. the viewer there. Um, the other day I, I was watching, uh, I just happened to be flipping it around and I saw some formula one racing, which I don't, t- I don't typically watch. And man, they had it wired like they, they literally have you there in the, co- the cockpit and they're explaining what's going on. They're explaining everything that the driver's doing. Um, it was fascinating. So, you know, when we can when we can figure out how to do that, um, then our sport sport has the potential to grow and the money would grow uh, exponentially.
0: I agree. I mean, if you look at the timeline of our sport, when it really started you know to explode um was about four or five years ago when you know companies like ours started covering the sport with video and and photos and other companies started doing it as well is what really kind of catapulted the sport to where it's at today but like you said in order to reach that next level we're still all here trying to figure out that perfect you know cost versus you know, reward type of, you know, balance, uh, formula, whatever you want to call it, to be able to take it to that next level. But with that, you know, there's a ton of marketing. There's a ton of things that everybody involved in the sport needs to do in order to help sustain the growth that we're currently seeing.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, I think we can all help out. I think it's also logical and it's it's okay for some people to not want the sport to grow. You know, there's there you, you want to kind of some people are going to want things to stay the same and that's okay. Right. But but um you know for those people that want to continue to grow the sport and and um for all the reasons therein, um you know what what can we all do? And it's you know everything from welcoming uh, new shooters that come to matches, you know, helping them out, uh, helping people at your local ranges, you know, when they come up and they see your gun and you're like, wow, what is that? You know, they, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause gun, gun guys like to talk about guns, Yes, and, they do. you know, I, I think we all get a little worn out. Sometimes you're there at the range, you got two hours and to do three hours worth of work and, you know, three people come up to you and want to chat you up. And I, I know that can get kind of wear you out a little bit, but, you know, to the ability to, to talk to, to those folks and you never know who your next, um, long range shooter is going to be. And I think there's a lot of people in this sport and a lot of top shooters, that's how they started somewhere else. They right. went up and they talked to, you know, a guy, uh, or a gal at the local range that was a legend, you know, 10 years ago. And got some advice and, and got mentorship from that person. And then they became the next, you know, big thing in, in you know, our sport.
0: No, and and it's true. You never know who you're going to meet. I mean, a perfect example uh, of that that it comes to mind right away is, you know, we meet so many people at, at the range or at local matches. And you, you know, you help them. You kind of give them what you can but still focus on your 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 match or or your practice or whatever it is that you're doing and i met a gentleman and and i feel completely completely dumb um i met a gentleman about a year ago at one of our local matches and um you know he came up and introduced himself and and i said hi and i kind of gave him some some advice from whatever you know my advice is worth on on attacking a stage and you know he did his thing and, and he shot well and I ended up seeing him a couple actually this year at a match and I didn't even realize it was the same guy that I was talking to a year and a half ago at our local match I saw him at a different national match in a different state and it was like oh my god this guy totally went from our local matches got into it and is now traveling across the country competing and doing well. You know, yeah. so talent can be found, you know, anywhere. It could be that guy in the next bay. It could be somebody just asking a simple question. So, you know, it, it's huge for all of us to be able to take the time and um, answer any questions that that people may have because curiosity is uh, it, its a great thing as long as the right knowledge is provided to it
1: yeah i I totally agree Travis and I along those same lines just the spreading of information is I think is important and one thing I think we could we could do um, better at is sharing more of our buddies' posts on social media um, we all have friends on our social media accounts whether it's Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is that uh, that aren't gun related at all. Right. and or, or maybe, they, maybe they are somewhat gun-related, but they're not doing what we're doing. So by not only posting whatever we are, but by sharing our, our friends' posts, it's good in terms of recruitment to people to our sport. It's good in terms of spreading awareness about our sport and what we're doing. Um, and that there's people out there that are engaged in shooting sports um, – and then it's it's also good in terms of the industry and and spreading the word about uh, products and companies at a much higher level. You know, when you I get, you, you know, when when somebody when you get 10 of your buddies to share your post that uh, is about a product, the reach of that post goes up dramatically. And so we we could all do a better job of helping each other out if we were all sharing our posts more.
0: I agree 100%. And not to, to get into politics or anything of that nature, because that's not what this show is about. But with the political climate right now in the country with, you know, people being anti-gun and anti-this and people that don't know, um, for a community like ours that shows a positive aspect of how firearms can be used at, a, you know, in a sporting event to help teach discipline and help teach responsibility and so on and so forth. You know, people, people need to see the positive of shooting sports as well. And, and not just what the you know news is covering with, you know, the different tragedies that happen. So sharing it with, you know, with your friends, um, outside of the two A community um, is hugely important to help educate them that, Hey, we're not a bunch of just crazy guys running around with firearms or whatever. We're competing in a very difficult sport on a, you know, very safe level.
1: I think that's very well said any and agree totally. And that, that is kind of where I was going with that is that we, we can be really good ambassadors for the 2A community in general. Uh, I can't tell you how many discussions I've had with non-gun people when I describe what we're doing, you know, even if they, even if they really dislike guns, they can see and understand why, you know, what we're doing would be fun and why we might want to do it. Right? They might, they might not want to participate, but they, but the light bulb kind of goes on and they're like, Oh, that's, you know, because they see it as a recreation. It's like golf with guns, or you know, whatever analogy you want to use, and then it makes sense to them. You know, right. um, and so we we can be great ambassadors from that perspective.
0: Yes, absolutely. And you know, going back to the the topic of social media, you and I had discussed this previously, but and you you, you broke it down for me in a, in a couple of different categories that made a lot of sense. And I really enjoyed that conversation with you, and I want to kind of relive that conversation here with our our audience. Um, but you broke it down to, I mean, the different types of posts you had, look at me, the things, the feature, instructional, mm-hmm. um, product as a co-pilot, humor, and sharing. So mm-hmm. we kind of talked about the sharing already. but. What is the what is the look at me post? What does that mean to you and in, in, in your words?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so when I talk to, to my clients about uh, social media posting, you know, I try to break it down into these categories so that so that just they they can better understand, you know, the different types of posts, and then maybe learn when to use a certain type of post, what's overused, what and whatnot. So the, the most common posts that you see in in our with our group, um, with the, the long range shooters is the look what I did post. And this is a good post and it has its place. The problem is it's kind of overused. And, and part of the reason for that is that people just aren't sure what else to post, right? Like they see right. that post from everybody else. They're like, okay, I'm just gonna kind of copy that. And there there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's a great place to start. But it, essentially at, at its core, it's, it's a look what I did. Uh I went to this match I placed this and I used this um gun and this optic and you know da 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 and um that it's a it could be a good post it is overused we need to figure out other ways to post and hopefully we'll come up with some some other categories here and some other ideas for people to to post but I would also just tell people don't don't be afraid to post that I mean don't be afraid to do the look what I did I mean it is important sometimes it is useful um but maybe we can use some other types opposed to.
0: Okay, um, the
1: the next category would just be the thank you, and this is also fairly common. Um, but it's basically um, hey, thank you, uh, ROs, thank you, match director, thank you, um, you know, optics company for uh, you know a great optic. That's a pretty good one too, um, but a little bit a little bit overused. The um, the third category would be kind of a check out check out this new product check out this new cool feature and it, just using a couple examples uh, here Phil Cashin just as an example does a great job with this when they come out with something new at MPA so i'm sure most people have seen his little you know 60 to 90 second 2 minute um, videos about the new a new feature right um an, another great example was Paul Reed when when Paul Reed switched to Curtis actions, he did a series of videos showing um, the ability to take the barrel off and nod and some of the other features. He did a fantastic job of showing us why those were great actions. Those are just two examples that came you know kind of come to mind for me, but there's and there's others out there but what what I would encourage um, our community to think about is Think about the, the features that you like on a product, um, you know, whether whatever product that is, and just do a, a ten to thirty second or one minute video on what that feature is and be specific about the feature and be specific about what you like about it. So um personalize
0: yeah. it to your own experience.
1: Yeah, and what it what it you're doing is you're showing people also how to use that feature. Right. There's there's so many times there's there's features to products that that um, are there that we might not know about or we might not know how to use them and they just go wasted. That happens over and over and over and it Very it true. kind of drives me kind of drives me crazy, and it it's um it's actually a really powerful way to market is the just the explanation of features in a, in a more detailed and personal way. Um, next category would be kind of the instructional videos you mentioned, right? The, the, um, the teacher and two, two names that come to mind, um, people who are doing a great job, obviously Phil Vallejo, he is doing a great job with his videos. Um, and he is a, he is an instructor. I mean, that's his day job too. Right. So for for those of us that watch the videos we get we get the the benefit of seeing videos from someone who with his um background, right? That he that Phil has uh as a former scout sniper yes. and then also as a current as a current uh instructor and he, and he's willing to share tidbits on a, you know, weekly almost daily basis. I think those are those are fantastic but they also are a great way to market. You know, Every one of us can do a little bit of instruction if we, if there's some little tip, some little hint that we can share and pass on to the rest of the community. It makes the community better, but it's also a great way to market your, um, your companies that sponsor you or maybe a, a, a company that you just like their products. And you don't even have to talk about the product. Just having it, you know, using a certain scope while you're sh- demonstrating a tip or hint is powerful. Um, Scott Satterley also does a great job in his instructional videos. I mean, just uh, the way that he talks uh, to, to people and the way he instructs, I think, you know, he's he's also got a great background, very knowledgeable guy and, and uh, um, does some great stuff. So there's plenty of others out there, but if I would that would be good examples, Um, but just those are the two that came to mind. And so, I just encourage people to think about: Hey, can I just do a little um, thirty to ninety second instructional tip? Um, that's a great post.
0: You know, and to add on to that, a lot of us have taken some sort of formal training, and there's a ha- you know quite a few people that are um, still looking to get that training. And what I've learned throughout my entire life is different instructors connect with different types of people. So being able to watch how one person, you know, executes something and watch a different person execute the same thing, but in their own way is going to connect with different audiences. So if we all started sharing ideas and things that worked for us, we're going to start reaching more and more people that can relate to our body types or our situations or whatever it is. And it's just going to help the entire
1: community grow. That's absolutely right. And I've, I've actually got two points that would uh, demonstrate that. Uh, Phil Vallejo and, and Scott Satterley did videos last winter talking about where to shoulder the, the, the gun, Right. And about moving the gun to the to onto your collarbone, and I was I had just gone through shoulder surgery, plus I did a lot of three gun where I, you know I shouldered my AR on that collarbone, you know high on the cheek, and so that made a lot of sense to me, and I thought, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna make that change this year, and so I did I switched completely where I was shouldering my gun because of those two videos, and I think it's made a big difference. I think it's really helped a lot. Number two, I would also say that you don't have to be um, Paul Reed, you know, Vallejo, Satterley, you know, you don't have to be a top shooter to bring value in terms of a hint or a tip. There's a lot of people that are newer shooters even that are gonna approach a problem from a different perspective that maybe the rest of us haven't had that perspective before. And you never know when one of those things is going to be a a big. It's going to be changing for our our, our sport, right? It's going to be the, the way that we do things. Right. So, if you're if you're new out there and you you've thought of a new way or a different way to do something, um, or or you want to show something that that maybe uh, someone just showed you that was really helpful. Just put it on a 30 second video and share it with everybody. You never know when that's gonna be really, really helpful for for somebody else out there, which is exactly what you're saying, Travis.
0: Yep. And you know, I just thought of something here and and correct me, I'm, I'm shooting off the cuff here, but I think the same thing is true if you were to put out a help me video, meaning, hey, this is what I'm, you know, this is how I use a tripod. And this is how I would shoot from a standing position off of a tripod, whatever. Is this the right way to do it? And even putting videos out there like that might help get, um, you know, people like Satterly or Vallejo or whoever out there, re, you know, looking at what you're doing and giving you some advice or creating their own videos, saying, hey, this is how we do it. You know, try this for yourself.
1: That's yeah, that's right. You know what? It would be kind of cool if you if um maybe you had uh some guests on once in a while and you had people submit photos or videos of them shooting a stage and say how could I have done this better? Right. I you know, just going through some of the pictures of um match pictures, I see people who are uh who are newer and they're shooting a stage a certain way and you're like, Oh man, I'd love to give this person two or three tips. Now that's, that's not to say that I know all the answers or I've, you know, I have all the answers because the way that I might approach it would be different than someone else. And there's, you know, usually there's several ways to shoot a stage and they're all right. You know, it's just whatever works for you. But there's some obvious things sometimes with, with folks that would be so helpful for them, you know, that could be really interesting. You just have a little series where you get, you know, you show the picture of somebody. Obviously, they've got to submit it and ask for help because you don't want to just be showing them pictures, <laughs> p- picking, them, picking them apart, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, um, and then, but by, but by everybody else getting to see that advice, then you, you spread it.
0: Exactly. You know? And as long as it's done with a constructive criticism and done with the intent to help each other, you know, I, I think they could be great posts.
1: Yeah, yeah, that would be really that could be really interesting, huh? Yeah. the 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 next category, um, I call it the product as a copilot. Like, if you want to do a post and you're you're marketing a product, the the hunting and brand ambassadors, they they've got this one down. Like, you know, watch what they do with these and you know, we could probably learn a lot from them on this, but this is essentially, Hey, this product is my co-pilot. I'm going on this, you know, adventure, I'm going to a match or I'm doing whatever I'm doing. And this, this product is my trusty co-pilot. Like this is the, the piece of gear or the, these are the pieces of gear I really depend on. And, um, you know, they're like my, my best friend and I really, um, I need them. Right. you do see some of these, you know. Sometimes I think the typical post, and I've done it too, uh, is uh, "Hey, I'm headed to this match, and here's my gun," and or "I'm getting ready for a match. Here I go." Uh, those can be pretty good, and and I think we just need to expound on that and get a little more creative with those types of posts. And again, probably taking some cues from the hunting folks would be a good idea.
0: I mean, the, the hunting market that segment is. I don't know, 100, 1,000 times larger than Precision Rifle. But you're starting to see a a lot of crossover where hunters are starting to come into the sport and vice versa. Um, And so, you know, looking at what the hunting community is doing from a marketing standpoint, if you're looking at the bigger companies like the Under Armors or the Realtree or or, you know, Vortex, you know, somebody who crosses over into what we do, uh they do a phenomenal job at their marketing and building for for lack of uh of better words almost like a cult like following with what they do because their content is you know their products are obviously great but their content really touches home to a wide variety of people
1: yeah and i you that's right and i think you you're right you're starting to see more crossover um I think a lot of those companies and the, the brand ambassadors, you're starting to see more and more interest in long range. Their consumers are more and more interested in long range. There's obviously been the TV shows now for some years about, uh, uh, long range hunting. Right. But, but I think what, what I've seen is a lot of those, that hunting crowd is, is looking to our group for information and, and help and, and, that type of thing. But I think what, what you're starting to see also is you're going to see crossover from some of our, um, our top shooters into becoming, uh, you know, celebrities or, or brand ambassadors in, in the hunting world too. And I mean, one, one name that comes to mind is my friend, John pinch. He is a great, he's a great example of that. Here's a guy that is unquestionably a top shooter in our sport, But he's also a really legit hunter, goes on some great hunts, gets great content. You know, Um, I mean, he's a guy that crosses over really easily into the hunting world and then back into our world. And um, he does. And does well at both.
0: And you're starting to see that a lot with our instruction as well, because, you know, Gunworks has long range hunting courses, which also, you know, can translate into the competition world and they're both taught, you know, Philip teaches both. Scott Satterley does hunting courses. I believe Kaylin Wozniak does hunting courses. So a lot of the big names in our competition world are also teaching hunters what we're doing in the competition world and how to use that in a real life hunting scenario.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and Scott um, announced this week that in 2020, he wants to do a long range, uh, match that is hunting based. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, I think it's good for us to remember the, you know, I think the roots of what, where our sport came from was rooted in practical field application, whether that's hunting or whether that's military or whatever it is. And so to the extent we can still make sure that we're, we're practical and that, that we're improving people as all around marksmen. I think that's a good thing to do. And, you know, I really appreciate what I've learned in this sport because when I do hunt, which as a Montana and I've, I've done all my life, um, now, now as I'm hunting and I walk, you know, through, uh, wherever it is I'm hunting, I'm looking for rests everywhere I go. <laughs> and it, I, I tell people that to, a, to a, a, an NRL PRS shooter, all the world looks like a rest, you know? <laughs>
0: this is true. I could just picture you going through and you're like, that tree branch looks stable. That rock looks good.
1: <laughs> yep. It's absolutely true. And, and it, yeah. And if you get into some animals, you're like, you're looking for rocks or trees or something to get, you know, get stable. So that, there is practical application for what we do. And, um, and, and uh, I really appreciate, I'm really excited to see where, you know, where Scott's match goes, the hunting match and, and some of the other hunting matches out there. I think that's kind of interesting.
0: It is. And I think it's going to open up a new segment for the precision rifle community for people that, you know, want to practice more of that. And I I think it's, I think it's awesome.
1: Yeah. We could have a whole new group of shooters that come in, right. Um, Oh yeah. People who have their hunting rifle, but they don't really want to go out and buy a, um, you know, a precision rifle rig and spend all that money, but they just want to get a lot better with their hunting rifle. The flip side to that is, um, you know, Scott's match at Q Creek this year, there was a hunting category with a 16 pound gun limit. and um, that that category was stacked with great shooters. and it was people that all have precision rifle rigs, but they wanted to bring their hunting rifle and see what you know see what it would do. yeah and and that's because the a lot of the precision rifle community that shoots matches also hunts and they've also got you know a, a hunting rifle that they've built. And what a great way to go out there and really test it and and see how 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 well they can really shoot with it.
0: I, I think the hunting class, um, you know, how Scott came up with that and whatnot, I think it's brilliant, especially when you're starting to see so many rigs, you know, going heavier or, or coming out with different innovations to help manage recoil and do all of this stuff where, you know, a traditional hunting class rifle, you're not going to have all of that stuff. Cause you don't want to pack it in.
1: Right. Yeah. And I, I think it's good. I mean, I, I think it's good to push the boundaries in every direction, right? So whether we're going to 30 pound rifles and we're kind of um, seeing if that's too much or not enough. Um, I don't, I don't mind that. That's part of innovation because right. what, what eventually happens is then you start to pull back and you, you know, Thing, the pendulum swings the other way, and at some point you find equilibrium, and you find the right spot for for that particular person. Um, and you know, in the precision rifle sport, there's been a lot of writing about how guns have gotten heavier and heavier. But I also know plenty of shooters who are still pretty much in that 17 to 19 pound category, and I'm one of them. I mean, I you know, I put a new proof uh, competition contour on my all my rigs and uh i just took some of the weight out of the chassis so you know i didn't use it as a way to get heavier just personally for me i didn't use it as a way to get heavier i just used it as a way to to better balance my gun number one and and also take some of the other weight out of the chassis and and keep it around 18.
0: and again Um, you know that whole setup of how you set your rifle up whether you want it lighter or heavier it's all a personal preference as to how comfortable you are performing with that platform. It's, you have to have the right tool for the right job, and that tool is different for everybody.
1: Well, that, that's what's great about the, the, the direction that the chassis have gone is to give everybody the flexibility to do what they want. Um, if, you know, if you want to build a 30-pound gun, it's so much easier to do that now it, but if you want that same chassis to be on a, you know, a 16-pound gun, you can. I, at Q Creek, I used a, an MPA chassis that is one I've used in many matches. I just threw my, hunt, my carbon-barreled hunting rifle in it, and um, I, I barely made 16 pounds. <laughs> I was 16.0. Um, so, you know, that just shows the flexibility of the chassis and whether it's an MPA or an XLR or a, you know, an MDT they, or, or the others, they're, they're, there's just a lot you can do with the chassis. And that comes from people wanting and saying, hey, I want to build this up to a 30-pound gun. And other people saying, yeah, I want to keep this kind of light. Right. Um, that's, that's some innovation. I, I mean I applaud the, uh, all the chassis manufacturers for finding ways, innovative ways to, to meet those different requirements.
0: No, absolutely, and it's just going to continue, you know, the sport's going to continue to push innovation, and it's up to, you know, the, the end user to see what works best for them. I mean, I'm looking at my my wall right now, and I have heavy chassis, and I have light chassis, I have heavy stocks, and I have light stocks, and they all have different purposes for them.
1: Right. Well, and isn't it interesting that all the chassis manufacturers are coming out with their ultralight versions now too. Like I, I, I have one of the MPA ultralights, and I'm I'm just fascinated by it. It feels very much like my competition chassis, but it's, it's about two and a half pounds with a buttstock and a vertical grip on it, which is amazing. But nice. MDT is coming out with theirs, and XLR is coming out with theirs. Yep. Um,
0: I've got my and- XLR on order. I'm just waiting for it to be built
1: yeah so this allows you a, a you know a precision rifle shooter to basically build a hunting rifle that feels very much like their their hunt or their uh, precision rifle rig but also I love the flexibility of those chassis so if I need to throw it in a tripod it's got a you know it's got a rail on it uh, full-length rail or all the different mounting points or things that I'm used to in my competition rig you know my hunting rifles I've I mean, I love the traditional stocks. I grew up on them, Um, but they're a little limited in terms of flexibility. You know, they're a little tough to mount them in a tripod sometimes and, you know, or buy, get bipods on them or sling mounts or whatever. Well, you go to one of the chassis and it just, all that goes away. So um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a pretty cool innovation that's happening with the chassis. And, you know, you're starting to see that with the other manufacturers too, right? Like, night force just came out with the nx8s that's going to be a great scope that's kind of a blend of long range and hunting and there's a lot you could do with those those optics um there's a there's a lot of crossover happening
0: there is and it's very exciting because as we continue to cross over excuse me <clears throat> as we continue to cross over um the hunting world is obviously like we talked about much larger so hopefully we'll get a part of the hunting community crossover into the nrl or prs or precision competitions and we actually are seeing a lot of the crossover happen especially in the nrl 22 because a lot of those guys um you know for them to get into the precision rifle game in a 22 platform is a lot easier for them than going out and building a whole competition rig even though Now, within the next couple of months, that's going to be very doable with, like what you said, with MPA and XLR and MDT coming out with Hunter model versions of their chassis.
1: Right. Well, part of the brilliance of NRL 22 is that the matches are, the match location is so much easier to find. And the uh, setup for that match, not that any match is easy, but the setup is would, would be so much easier than, you know, uh, uh, some of the long-range matches. Right.
0: 20 different courses of fire over two days is a lot harder than five courses of fire in an afternoon.
1: Right. And, and at a max distance of, you know, how much? You know, 100 yards, right. So, right, right. So – Um, that means you're going to get more match directors who are willing to raise their hand and say, Hey, we've got a place where we can have a match. It's an NRL 22 match is this would be perfect, a perfect place. And, you know, I'm willing to spend the time that it takes to set it up and, and run it. Well, and I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, and that just, that just gets that, that just gets more people involved because you're, you're having a match where, you know, the people are at.
0: And to back up exactly what you're saying, I think, you know, the NRL had 17 matches this year. The PRS, I think, had 40 or 50 matches this year. The NRL 22 in the month of July had 74 matches. Wow. 74 matches nationwide in one month.
1: Wow. Insane. That is incredible. Yes. You know, incredible. Well, there, there you go. That... That's, you know, that's exactly what we're talking about. And if you want to know, you know, what's going to be, what's going to help our our sport grow, that's, there you go. That's it.
0: Yes, sir. And I mean, the, the NRL, NRL 22 are also international. So we have matches in different countries, which we're not even tracking as part of our U.S. demographics. So, you know, the more that we get this sport, you know, growing in the U S and internationally and, and whatnot, it's just going to be better for the entire community all around. Um, so it's just, it, it's amazing the direction that all of this is headed.
1: Yeah. Well, good for you guys. Congrats on that. And, um, I'm excited for NRL and NRL 22. And, um, I now it just means I got to build one more gun. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
0: So one of the, the last categories that uh, we kind of got sidetracked on in regards to social media posts, which, you know, I, I think is very important and that I kind of lack because I'm, I'm known for having a very dry sarcasm sense of humor, but it's humor.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm.
0: how does humor play an important role in social media in what we're doing in the precision community?
1: Well, that's another that's another category of of posts that if someone wants to promote, you know, a product, you can use humor. You know, um, some people are really good at it. I mean, look no further than the ARS. Right? right. And and which was much needed. They filled a void, I think, there. And I mean, they're they're brilliant. I love those posts. Oh, so why? And, and they're the following is just huge. But you know if you watch if you also see some of the posts like Jake Vibbert a good friend of mine did a, a post on uh, do you remember his video on all the excuses yes it was just fantastic right i mean right. we're kind of ma- we're making fun of ourselves here and and that was a that was a great post well if you're looking to make a post to to help your brands that you um, you promote you know you can use humor to do that don't rule out doing humor and, um, using some of those as an example, um, or, you know, blooper reels. Um, I've seen some blooper videos from different shooters that are hilarious. You know, I, I posted one not too long ago about a stage that was a total train wreck. (laughs) And it was, (laughs) and I remember after we videoed it in and I got off the stage, one of my friends, um, said, Are you going to post that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, (laughs) I'm (laughs) definitely going to post that one. that's, you know, we can't be you can't be afraid to make fun of yourself, too, you know, and um, those can be really effective posts. And if you look at the engagement and the views on that kind of stuff, it's sky high. It is like it it gets great. And they get those tend to get shared more, which spreads the love. And that's just that's good for the sport. It's good for all of us. And, but it's also good. It's good marketing. So.
0: um, one disclaimer with humor though, is you have to keep the humor like PG, PG 13,
1: mm -hmm. you know,
0: because if you take it to one end or the other with weird comments or things that some people might find uncomfortable, it completely negates all the positive that you're trying to create.
1: Yeah, that's right. When you have to have a feel. If you're doing this for a mark for marketing reasons, um, you you have to understand that the companies you're representing, you have to understand their cultures. Right. You have to understand the people that are involved there, and and I like to imagine if they were in the room with me, and I'm about to hit that post button, and and I like to imagine them reading that post and think, what would so and so say, you know, about this post? And I'm not always right. But if you kind of use that as your guide, and if, if you have a voice that says, oh, you know what, screw it, I'm going to do it anyway. Well, <laughs> there, there may be consequences. Right. You know?
0: You might be that, getting a, a phone call that you don't want.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and maybe being a brand ambassador isn't for you. The, the, the flip side to that is that there are people who have a lot of personality Maybe even could be a little brash, could um, be a little out there, and some companies are going to love that. Right. So that comes back to just understanding, you know, the, your, the companies you're representing and what they see in you and, and having a good fit. In the first podcast, we talked about being genuine. You know, one of the per- first pieces of advice I give my clients is no matter what you do, be genuine. So... If being PG, if you are an R rated person and that's just who you are and that's you all the live long day, it's gonna be tough for you to be P G all the time and maybe maybe that's not gonna be genuine.
0: Right. So um, maybe that's not a, a type of post or a type of, you know, presence that you want to give. Mm-hmm. So work within what your comfort level is with who you're representing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but be genuine. Yep, that's Absolutely. right. Always yeah. genuine. Yep. So last one I would say is the kind of the throwback posts, like you know, the um some of those can be really cool. I, just, I saw a couple this week, you know, uh Jacob Denny, who's a friend of mine, posted one about uh showing barricade work at an old SoCal match many years ago. Wasn't that interesting to watch the guy shooting the barricade, you know? It, it and was how different we would in you know those; those are great. Those are that's, that can be some great stuff.
0: It is because the, I think everybody loves nostalgia and seeing where it started. And a lot of the new people that are coming into the sport don't really have an idea or a clue of what some of the the original people in the sport were doing or how it was being done, and so they don't understand the progression of what's happening. So I love seeing those throwbacks to you know whatever it was because it just you know if i was there it it creates a positive memory it brings that back up for me and if i wasn't i'd learn something new and kind of understand where we are today because
1: of it yeah yeah i totally agree um well do you want to talk a little bit about maybe for the the marketing folks that are out there the brands you know about them using brand ambassadors and Yes. Maybe some things that they could do. Yeah, I, I
0: think it's a a huge topic that people don't often think about. And so I think it, it'll be great for us to maybe, you know, ignite some some thought here. So for sure.
1: Yeah, I got a lot of questions after our first podcast from from people who are in the industry who had questions about, you know, well, why should I look at having a brand, uh, brand ambassadors or using brand ambassadors? why should I sponsor people? Um, or And if I'm going to do it, how do I do it? And I think that this part of the discussion could also be good for the shooters too, because if if the shooters understand what the marketing people are trying to do, it hopefully makes them more successful, right? It yes, could sir. help them be better at it. So, you know, we talked a little bit about the different tiers last time. And so if you're a marketing person, you you know, you might want to review that if you haven't, like there's different tiers of, of brand ambassadors that bring different things. But the first thing I would say to the marketing folks out there is that using a brand ambassadorship program, if it's done right, can be incredibly effective. Um, I know companies, uh, personally that, uh, have all but stopped marketing dollars in, in, Virtually every other place, but brand ambassadors, and have built companies um, within our industry that are top companies now in a short amount of time. In, to, in in other words, the only marketing dollars they spent was brand ambassadorship, and they built an empire in just a few years. Right. That's that should speak volumes. And kudos to the the companies out there that figured it out and you know and used that program uh, effectively um it can be a, a really a less expensive version you know the money that you would spend on on brand ambassadorship even if you're even if you're you're going beyond giving shooters product if you're really like helping them with some of their costs whether that's match fees or some travel expenses or or you know components like bullets and barrels the money that companies would spend on those things are significantly less than some of the other marketing dollars or uh, um, marketing efforts. Correct. So it can be a really cost-effective way to do it.
0: And traditionally, I mean, we know that the best form of marketing or the best form of advertising is word of mouth. If Mm -hmm. you go up to somebody, if I came up to you and said, hey, Chris, you know, I've been really thinking about, you know, this type of whatever – and I know that you have it, and I know that you run it, I'm going to believe what you say 10 times over what an advertisement in a magazine or television says for the simple fact that I have a relationship with you and I trust that you're always going to point me in the right direction. And ambassadors, again, when you have a good ambassador that is out there you know, competing and teaching and helping and doing whatever they can, I mean, I'm going to make a purchase off of what the recommendation is from somebody I trust over any kind of other advertisement any day of the week.
1: Yeah, that that's absolutely right. And that comes back to, you know, looking at that particular um, Brad ambassador and, and asking the question, what is their sphere of influence? You know, what who are the people that listen to this person? Right. And if I'm in if I'm in marketing in a company, uh, you know, I might look at at a particular person and say, OK, this person is really influential to this group of people. Is that a group of people that is a, a good market for us? Right. right? Is, is that a group of people that we really want to target? And if it is, then this would be a, a good person, you know, to get on board. And um, it's kind of interesting that sphere of influence can be geographical. It can be um, within a certain group of people online, you know, or a certain group. I mean, it's it's really interesting these days how that sphere of influence can be just dramatically different, or it can be several different spheres. And um, but I think what I would encourage the marketing people to to look at is is viewing what that sphere is and does it fit within your marketing plan?
0: But with that, I would also say is just because that person has a large influence, make sure that is the type of person that you want representing your brand. Meaning, mm-hmm. it's not always the top 20 shooters that are the best influencers. While many of them are, you oft, often find gems, you know, people that are excellent brand ambassadors that are just getting into the sport or have been into the sport and are mid-pack shooters because they're truly passionate and believe in the products that they're using. So, you know, there's some competitors out there that, you know, they go over and beyond and do everything that they can to help other new shooters or other people in the sport. And sometimes that's more important than just winning a trophy,
1: yeah that that's that's absolutely right and I can't tell you how many companies I've I've spoken to who've said the same thing that when they're looking for people to sponsor it's not just about who wins the most matches you know what they're looking for is a certain personality type that fits with their the culture of their company and within you know what they consider their the culture of their marketing plan right so you know they're they're looking for shooters that are warm and welcoming and who are going to learn their product and be willing to talk to anybody about that product. They, they want to be able to envision you in the parking lot before or after a match and somebody you don't know comes up and says, Hey, I hear you use this product. You know, can you tell me about it? Or I'm, I've kind of been thinking about it and they want to know how you're going to react, you know? And, um, You know, you're exactly right. Sometimes that isn't the top shooter. Sometimes that's a shooter who takes, you know, is a top 10 type shooter or a top 20 type shooter or whatever. And there's sometimes there's shooters who are mid pack shooters or or below, but they, you know, they have a respect level amongst a group of people for whatever reason it's right. because maybe they're a great teacher or because you know they are a great gunsmith or they you know whatever just an awesome and personality yeah yeah that's that's right and so you can't discount those out and i think you know back to our first podcast where we talked about we talked about that right? right we talked about the different levels and how each one of those levels can actually be really effective if you know if you understand where they're at in that in that tier system and you know how to use them effectively within a program, which is a good segue into a warning to the companies out there. Um, going into a, a sponsorship program, a brand ambassador program, and not having a plan or not executing that plan correctly is um, fraught with peril. You you might as well set fire to a pile of money in the street because you're probably going to get more bang for your buck out of it. Right. if if you, you, you know, if you don't do it right, it can just be a waste of money. So and frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And I've talked and I have, I have, you know, I've seen that happen with companies too. Um, if you, if we have time, I have a story about one of my NFL clients. That's a, a good example of this.
0: You know, we're over time, but this conversation is so awesome. And I think the audience is really enjoying it. So let's just keep rolling.
1: Okay. So we, years ago, I had a client in the NFL and we he had a a a fairly sizable shoe deal right it's not wasn't Jordan size it wasn't tens of millions but it was it was pretty sizable and this particular client um was uh on a team that was playing really well and they were kind of they were kind of starting to look like playoff contenders and maybe the Super Bowl and I I started hitting up the the um, vice president of marketing saying, hey, are you guys buying a Super Bowl ad this year? And they kind of hemmed and hawed, but then as the weeks went on, they they finally got back to me and said, we we bought a Super Bowl ad. And everybody knows how expensive those Super oh, yeah. Bowl ads are. And um, the the whole reason that this particular shoe company, which was not one of the typical shoe companies like Nike, okay? Imagine a different shoe company that makes – You know, athletic shoes that maybe we don't think of as a top tier shoe company, but they had come out with some shoes um, that year. In fact, that were really legit. They were really, really good. And their problem was nobody took them seriously. Hmm. Okay, so their marketing folks said we've got to find a way for people to start to view us as a serious athletic shoe. So that's why we're gonna we're gonna um, you know partner with some some athletes, some serious athletes. So that's why we had the deal. Well, so as the weeks ticked down to the Super Bowl, my client's team started winning more and more. And they're, it's becoming obvious that they're a Super Bowl contender. And I am pitching to this company, wouldn't it be awesome to have a Super your Super Bowl commercial if my client ends up in the Super Bowl? Wouldn't it be awesome for you right. to have a commercial with him? Yeah, it'd be right? huge. Right, right. This is a, could be fantastic. They ultimately decided in their wisdom to not do that, but rather to do the same old cutesy commercials that they had always done that only further led people to believe that they weren't a serious – they just weren't a serious athletic shoe. Right. So the we get to the Super Bowl, and lo and behold, my client's team does make it to the Super Bowl. Nice. There's a, a drive um, right before the half where my client's team is driving down the field. My client makes about you know three or four huge plays that culminates in him scoring a touchdown with about uh, 30 or 40 seconds left in the half.
0: Nice. For
1: his, huge. For his, his team to go ahead. Huge. Okay. This was yeah it was a, it was a huge series for him. Um, so after the game was over, um, I called one of my marketing connects and say and said, "Hey, did you see that?" And they were like he was he was so the 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 tone on the phone call was so dejected. He was like, "Yeah, I saw it." And I said, <laughs> "By the way, when did your commercial run?" And he said, after the touchdown, when they broke to commercial, ouch! They could they could have had a commercial with a guy who just scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Ouch. Yep. And I think what it came back to is, there were plenty of people in that room that were raising their hands saying, "We need to do this. We need to do this with the football player. We've got to do it." But somebody else in the room who was a decision maker said, no, you know what? This is a lot of money. I don't want to be – I just can't go out of my comfort zone. I want to do the same thing that we've been doing. Right. And I think that's an, that's an example that they spend a lot of money on us and the other athletes, but they didn't execute the plan that they went in with. Right. And so consequently, they spent a lot of money on those athletes and they didn't get much out of it. They really didn't. And okay. it's too bad.
0: It is. It is. And, you know, that's the thing is you have to have a well thought out plan. You have to execute that plan. But in that plan, you have to, in my opinion, you have to take the chance of being different, especially Mm -hmm. if you're not as well known as your competitors or you're launching something new. And I mean... If you don't take risks and you don't execute with faith in, in what your plan is, then, then you're setting yourself up for you know little success or failure.
1: That's, that's right. You've got to do something bold. There's no reason for people to try a product, um, your product, if it's kind of uh, – if they don't understand how it's different right. and if, they've, if there's a product that's already got a large market share and a lot, a lot of loyalty – you've got it you've got to do something bold and there have been companies lately who've done that they they realize that they they feel like they have a good product but nobody's ever going to know about it if they don't get the word out and so you know they came up with a brand ambassador program where they they had to fork out some money to get people to try their product and be become brand ambassadors and it paid off it is a good product and um and you know they that's a Great example of what you're talking about. I think you also have to, Travis, you've got to, in addition to finding the right fits for, you know, in terms of people, you got to teach them about your product. You know, it doesn't do any good for you to send a a product to a brand ambassador and they kind of know about it, but you don't really teach them the details. Right. You know, and that's not to say they need to know every single spec and how it's made, but the more you can teach them, the the better brand ambassadors they're going to be. Um I would also say that that some of the brand ambassadors out there and the people in our sport have got all kinds of talents, right that yes. go that go way beyond shooting. I mean we've got people in our sport that have you know endless experience um, that has nothing to do with shooting. If I'm managing a brand ambassadorship and I, uh, I should get to know the people that are in this group and what their other talents are. And is there are, are there ways I can utilize those? Absolutely. You know, if somebody is really good with people and um, they're really good in a crowd, can I get them to an event? You know, a fundraiser or charity event of some kind, or you know, at shot show, can I get them around other people, right, and utilize those talents?
0: Yep. I agree. I mean, it's, it's true because I think the first year or maybe even two years that you and I knew each other, I had no idea that you were a sports agent, Mm. you know? Yeah. Um, And it, it took me, you know, whatever time to, to sit down and actually have a conversation with you and figure that out. And, and now look at us here. We are today, you know, two excellent podcasts under our belt, friends that we compete, we talk, we throw business ideas back and forth. We, we, you know, And it's those relationships that truly solidify, you know, when you're working with a product. But on the flip side, in my opinion, it's also a huge responsibility for that brand ambassador to go out there and seek that knowledge. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you just got sponsored by XYZ company, you need to be going out and trying to figure out as much about that company as you can so that you can be the best ambassador representative for them to help you know help solidify your your placement your opportunity with them
1: yeah absolutely that's that comes back to if you're going to be an ambassador there's some work involved here yeah don't you know don't go into it expecting hey i'm i'm good enough that just getting free product or money thrown at me and having it in my on my gun or whatever is, is good enough. Right. You know, and um,
0: I'll, I'll tell you a perfect story of that. And, you know, so there was a, a, a friend of mine who was a new shooter and he'd been in the sport. We got, you know, I introduced him to the, the sport and he really got into it and he had started trying to figure out how to get sponsors. You know, how do you approach whatever companies and ask for a sponsorship when, these companies are constantly getting approached for free shit or free stuff. Right. And, and I told him, I said, you know, why are you asking for this? You know, why, if, if you came to me and said, Travis, I need XYZ product so that I can continue to shoot. Well, why would I want to just give that to you? You know, sure you know how to shoot you know how to pull the trigger but so do a lot of other people in this sport and what i had suggested to this person is go in there and offer something different and i simply said to him is how you know approach that sponsor so if i'm coming to you chris i would say chris i really like your product this is why I would like to utilize this product for this you know, this season and build a relationship with you. But more importantly, if you decide to work with me as your brand ambassador, how can I help you, the manufacturer, with what your goals are?
1: Right, no, that's your job, right? That's your job, that, it's that simple. And yeah.
0: many brand ambassadors don't get that. They think, oh, I'll throw it on here and I'll take a couple of pictures and that's all I need to do. Well, that's the bare minimum of what you should be
1: doing, right? Or that they're entitled in some way; they've earned, you know, the the right to to get free stuff, um, and that's good enough, right? Right. Um, no, you're. It's it's essentially a job, and you, you know, you're what you're signing up for is that you are going to help that company sell that product. Exactly. And and just like we talked about in the first podcast, if you're not comfortable with that, because some people aren't then you know this is probably not for you right and that's not to say that that people don't have different ways of selling because they do there's all different kinds of ways you don't have to be the used car salesman or you don't have to go out and market like you know your buddy who's right. does it a certain way you can have your own way uh, and in fact that's genuine like we talked about it's authentic exactly. and and many times that is more you know, that's it. That's what's effective.
0: It's, yeah, so, it's a higher success ratio because you're being real,
1: right? Right, right, right. But you got to do something, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, that but, doesn't include doing nothing,
0: exactly. And on the flip side to that, though, is if you get approached as a competitor by a manufacturer that wants to sponsor you, you don't have to feel obligated to accept that offer, especially especially if it's a product that you don't believe in. So I have talked to many competitors that got sponsored by whatever companies, and they tell me in confidence, you know, that product, whatever it is, just isn't working for me. And, you know, I kind of regret taking that that commitment, that sponsorship. Mm -hmm. So make sure as a competitor, you know... Who number one you're going after, and number two, as people approach you, understand what their product is or be honest with them. Hey, so and so, I don't know what your product is, I have never used it. I'd be more than happy to, you know, see if it works for me. And if it does, then we can move forward with it. If it doesn't, I really appreciate your interest in me, but you know, I just don't want to misrepresent your company. It's more important for me to be genuine than a salesperson,
1: yeah, that's right, and i I think that's why um as good as it feels to get free stuff or for somebody to say we believe in you, um which I mean for any of us, that feels great right you know the way this this relationship should start is that there should be a trial period or the shooter's already using that product and has used it and, and loves it um, which is even better. But if not, then there should be an extended trial period where you try that product out and only then do you decide, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is something I'm really going to get behind. And, you know, that's, that's my advice, whether you're getting a free, you know, whatever that's 50 bucks or whether that's, um, shoes for a shoe company and it's a million dollar deal. Right. You know, don't, don't jump behind something that you can't, you don't feel good promoting just because there's a paycheck involved because it's ultimately it never works out. It just never works out. I agree. So, So you're not doing anybody any favors by taking that deal. Um, and including yourself. I agree. Yeah. So, well, that's a, I mean, that's the.
0: Those probably are those the, two topics, man. I mean, we have like yeah. five other topics to talk about and we're already over an hour here. This is crazy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I did get a lot of questions. Sounds like you did too from the last podcast. And I'm happy to answer those if people want to reach out to me, you know and shoot me questions. I'm happy to do that. And, um, same with you, Travis. And I just, I just can't thank you enough for, for having me on again.
0: No, thank you. And and, I mean, it sounds like we're going to have to do this again because there's still lots for us to talk about and people really dig, um, our podcast. So maybe, you know, I I, I know football season just started for you. So probably, you know, when when that wraps up, we'll be able to get on the phone again. Um, and we'll rock and roll. If we're able to, you know, by some miracle, find time before that, you know, we'll try our best to get it in for for all you guys addicted to the show, which we truly appreciate. Um, But as always, Chris, man, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you taking the time out to to get on the show with us today. And you know this, but if there's ever anything that we can do for you professionally, personally, whatever it is, we're always here for you, brother.
1: Well, same, same, same here, Travis. Okay. Same here. Absolutely feels the same way. And um, yeah, glad, glad to help out. I hope it's been helpful for people.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you.
1: And to all of our
0: listeners, we appreciate you taking the time to be uh, listening to the show. We apologize. It went a little bit uh, long today, but it was all great content that we hope you enjoy. And until next time, you know, keep shooting, keep practicing, and we'll see you guys out at the range. Take care.